You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables episode 148. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I am Michael Edwards. And uh, I got, I got like, this is like pseudo follow up. I didn't really want to make a whole topic out of this, but uh, there's a chance as of recording, it's not guaranteed, but there's, a, it looks like a pretty good chance that Fitbit is going to buy Pebble for some like trivially small amount of money by, by Silicon <laughs> Valley standards. It's like 50 million or $40 million. And Aww. yeah, wah, wah. and, and I'm, I'm still super happy with my Pebble for one thing. And for another thing, I don't think them being acquired will necessarily interfere with the primary use of the device, which is notification machine that vibrates my wrist so I don't miss meetings. Um, so, like, I'm not super upset about this in the short term with, you know, with the device I have. And in the long term, Fitbit seems like a pretty smart company. Like, I don't, I don't really have any objection to them helming the future development of Pebble unless it's an aqua hire and they're just going to kill the whole thing off. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, clearly from the price, no matter what happens, it was not very expensive for them. So if it's, it doesn't seem risky for Fitbit. Well, and this um, doesn't really compete. Not much to lose. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they have some notification things on some of their devices, but it would be really easy to just say like, hey, we now make this one additional device that we call the Fitbit Pebble, and it looks like a pebble and it does everything the pebble did. And also the Fitbit is tightly integrated and like, and that's all the thought they have to put into it. You know, they, it could be that simple. I definitely have to say the pebble looks cooler to me than any of the Fitbit screened devices. Yeah. The what's the big screen one. Is that the charge? The uh, there's a blaze <laughs> Fitbit blaze. They're all got like they're a, all final fantasy characters. It's got like extremely, I know this is just aesthetic, but like the, the corners are like very sliced, almost octagon like and Ooh. doesn't yeah. do it for me. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I have the original Pebble Time. So the not the Pebble, but the Pebble Time, but not the Pebble 2 or the Pebble Time 2, which I think are now delayed because of the pending <laughs> purchase. Um but I mean, you know, it, it looks basically like a digital watch. Like it's it's pretty unassuming and I have it in gunmetal or whatever so um, but yeah i mean as long as they don't retcon out the functionality that's there like if i get an update pushed to my pebble and they're like your pebble is now a fitbit and does none of the things your pebble previously did like right. <laughs> that would be super annoying but I, I don't think they're gonna do that it'd make you wonder why they even acquired them unless there's some genius talent that they were that's the only reason like you said aqua hire yeah um, i mean n- none of what my pebble is doing that i care about the notifications and stuff requires third-party services so all they have to do is not break it and it will continue to work fine i still have just the long-term like even with fitbit acquiring them which is good i think for the long-term survival of pebble because it doesn't seem like they were making the headway they needed to be independent um but are they like are not that the Pebble's a, a dumb smartwatch, but like, are these simpler fit devices kind of like flip phones in 2006 where you're like, oh my God, they own the whole market. They're amazing. <laughs> um, but really, you know, Google and Apple are just going to roll over them. Or is this more complicated? You know, do people not have the appetite for smart? you know, advanced wearables the way they did for phones that did more. Because, you know, there, there's reasons to be skeptical. Like, smartphones added things no one had been able to do before. Like, real internet, real <laughs> apps, real, you know, yeah. doing things on the go that are now trivial. And, you know, watches are facing that uphill battle of, well, my phone does all of that. Is it really that much better to have a, a gimped version on my wrist? Well, and that's part of what made the Pebble super attractive to me on this second go around is because it was, you know, like $70. So yeah. $70 for a never miss a meeting box that I get to tape to my wrist. Like that's a pretty, I, I can justify that cost for what I'm getting in return, but like $400 for the Apple watch or $1,200 for the ceramic Apple watch. Like that's, <laughs> that's just a luxury jewelry item. And I, 
am not a luxury jewelry person. And by definition, most people are not luxury jewelry people. So yeah. it's kind of like, I don't know. I, mean, I, th- I think wearables, because of their limited appeal at this moment, have to be a slightly lower price point than the technology yeah. that they require actually commands. Yeah, we'll have to see. Because, I mean, the first iPod was $400, and everyone's like, What? And then we we saw how that went. So it's like as as the Apple Watch creeps down to two hundred, will will they do it? But um, we don't have to make this a whole topic. I just think it's interesting. Our our Fitbits flip phones right before smartphones. Um, if they are, I think they're screwed because Google and Apple are they own the platforms that matter. Well, the um, the, the problem will be how it, it's kind of like the ARM Intel thing. Like, can ARM get faster? quicker than Intel can get power, uh, you know, <laughs> respect battery life, I guess. And uh, with the Fitbit and Garmin in particular, like everyone I know who is a serious athlete, like they do real, even if they don't compete, like they do real running, real swimming, real cycling, like on a real schedule, they need real accurate data. If you went up to them and you were like, oh, would you like this Apple Watch to track your runs? They would like laugh in your face. And not just because mm-hmm. the Apple Watch may or may not do a good job. I honestly don't know how good it is. It's just that there's this entire ecosystem of apps and sharing data and and desktop applications that read Garmin data and all of these like different things that are like an ecosystem around Garmin and its ilk and it's possible that Google and Apple could sweep Sounds in. Sounds like and, a software feature. <laughs> no, I mean, totally. Like, it's possible Google and Apple could sweep in and be like, hey, our sensors are every bit as accurate as theirs, and also we do all this other cool crap. And then Garmin will be like, oh, no, the only thing we had going for us was a hardware keyboard. And then, you know, they just BlackBerry <laughs> themselves right out of the market. Or but- they just make themselves the best cloud services version of fitness tracking and then their apps. Right. And I mean, it it remains to be seen which way that kind of thing goes. I mean, also, like some of the Garmin watches, like I have one from back in the day. And when I bought that one, it was the older version and it was still like $250. So if you're a a serious runner or cyclist or swimmer or whatever, and you already have a $400 commitment to your fitness tracker, like the stuff that the Apple Watch does, if it tracks as well as the Garmin, is going to have to be worth another two, three, four hundred dollars because you're like, well, I already have a thing that tracks my workouts. Right. So I don't know. I I think we're definitely in in early enough days where it's like anybody's game. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Pebble just bought. Assuming this happens, they've bought themselves time. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I still think the the dumb wearable. I would bet against it long term, even if they have a strong position short term. Yeah, and I honestly thought for a while that Pebble was going to be like, hey, we run Android Wear now. We're the only e-ink Android Wear watch. And their claim to fame would be it does all the same stuff. But by giving up some screen goodness, you get, you know, 10x the battery life. Um, and they either chose not to go that way or they didn't have time to go that way. Or maybe there's a bunch of reasons. That's a stupid idea that I haven't considered, (laughs) but I I thought for sure that they were going to end up not abandoning their product, but abandoning the software side of their product because it's a lot easier to pivot on that. So let's see. I, I had homework. I signed myself homework. I'm an adult, but I also work in education. (laughs) So I was prepared to assign homework. And to yourself. To myself. And I actually did it. So I'm, you know, good for me, A+. plus. But I wanted to play a game for a while on the Daydream view, and I wanted to watch either a movie or like a long, you know, an extended viewing experience. And I got kind of mixed results. So the gaming experience, the, the game I played, I'll, I'll throw a link to it in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 148. I cannot for the life of me remember what it was called. But it's it's basically like a, a 3D puzzle rotator. So it's like, you know, rotate the entire world to see where you can move next and then grab onto this little block and slide it over so that your little man can like walk across the bridge that had a block missing. It's, it's that kind of game. Right. And Echo Chrome. Yes, exactly. Monument Valley. It looks, yeah, it looks more like a Fez Monument Valley kind of inspiration. Um, You know, tower floating out in space kind of thing. And uh, it's fun in in VR. Um, The controls are good, but not great. So like every once in a while, you have to make a precision slide. And you're like, 
gently moving the remote to the side and then the thing like goes flying across the screen. And you're like, God yeah. damn it. Uh, but other things like telling your guy where to go is like super point and clicky and, and rotating the map is awesome. Cause you just point literally anywhere and then just swing your hand and the whole map rotates around. So like some of the, the controls I would say were arguably a little bit better. Some were definitely a little bit worse cause you were losing that precision that a big fat meat finger gives you. Um, but all in all, like I, I, I played probably 10 levels in there. Um, it, it's, it's serviceable. Like it's fun having the fully immersive, you know, kind of view is, is sort of interesting, even though it doesn't strictly benefit from it. Um, movie watching was where I had a lot more feelings. I, there were more feels. So I watched the opening of Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. And That's I think the best one of the trilogy, I think I, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, really the best movie in that whole series is the Hobbit, um, <laughs> <laughs> the third Hobbit movie, <laughs> the third one. Yeah. Um, no, please, you know, at Mike, I don't want to hear about it. Um, but so the, the, I, I figured this is, there's no way in hell I'm going to watch like a three hour movie on this thing, but I figured I could watch it as long as I possibly could and then kind of record how my experience played out. So I made it about 35 minutes into the movie before I was like, I'm ready to be done now. And <laughs> Can I get off this ride? Well, the main issue is that the Lord of the Rings movies, like a lot of modern, even relatively modern movies, are freaking beautiful. And holy crap, screen door. Like, when, yeah. when you're playing a game... 24 or, frames per second. Well, it's... Even the the... Like, the smoothness and the quality was there. It just looked like I had my face press against the screen door. And it's like, oh, we're going to put the TV out on the porch, but you're not allowed to come out on the porch. <laughs> you just have to press your face against the screen door and watch. And and there were times where I just couldn't tell my brain, like, stop looking at the cross-hatching, stop looking at the cross-hatching. Like, it's yeah. just, it's right in your face. So that was suboptimal, right? Broke I mean, that, the immersion. Yeah. I mean, and that's a movie I've seen a million times. Maybe if it was something where, like, the movie had more of my attention, it'd be a little easier to ignore. Um the phone, I was actually pretty impressed. Uh, in 32, 34 minutes, I think, of viewing, um, it burned only like 22% battery, which I mean, is actually like not that bad considering that it, it, one, the screen is on full blast, and two, it's doing, you know, the computation to like split it into two little screens. Hardware decoding is your friend. Yeah, so that, I was actually pretty impressed with that. And, um, it got warm, like the phone got noticeably warm, but not so warm that it was concerning and not so warm that I couldn't like use it. Um, cause I, I've heard, I didn't play the game that I was playing long enough, or maybe it just didn't have this problem, but I've heard people say, if you're doing like intense gaming, the phone will eventually say, um, you, you need to stop <laughs> <laughs> no more, no more yeah. 3d for a minute. Okay. And, and not when I was gaming and not when I was watching the movie, did I get anywhere close to that? Um, but man, that the screen door thing was, not a deal breaker. Like I'd probably watch like cartoons in there, but I mean, I don't want to watch like a, an ultra HD movie through a screen door. Uh, <laughs> the thing that was actually the biggest bummer was when I first set out to do this experiment, one of the things I was thinking of was like, how long before I will feel like this weight out in front of my face is uncomfortable. And it turns out it's about 10 or 15 minutes where you start to yeah. are like, yeah, I have a heavy thing in front of my face. <laughs> And That's then, where I've heard a, a lot of praise of PSVR in particular. They say that whatever they did with the center of gravity and the weight and the way it sits is you can wear it longer than most other VR headsets. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, th this is like speed is a feature on the web. Center of gravity is a feature on VR headsets because <laughs> it, it needs to not feel like it's out in front of you. And I mean, the, the headset itself and the phone are not that heavy. It's just that they're five inches away from your face. Yeah, you know, so it's like the, the angle torque. of rotation. Dat torque, though. <laughs> um, so I thought, I was like, oh, I know. If you hold down the home button, you can recenter the view at any time. So I'll just lay on my back, and then I will <laughs> just make straight above me, straight in front of me, and then I can like really focus on the viewing experience and not worry so much about like the physical discomfort. Well, it turns out they either don't want you to do that or there's a good reason not to do that, but you can't do that. You can't <laughs> you cannot alter in space where the horizon is. So uh, so if you lay flat on your back and you recenter the view, 
it recenters it, but it's still on the horizon. So you're still just yeah. looking at the Only sky. Only like X and Z, but not Y center. <laughs> yeah, I guess. it's, And I mean, it kind of makes sense because if it's going to do any sort of motion tracking, it has to be relying on accelerometers and things that you need, you know, like gravity. So, so like if you told it like, no, no, down is now in front. It's like, that doesn't make sense. You can't do that. <laughs> So it's, I'm sure it's possible that this is computationally feasible, but I could under, after I tried to do it and it didn't work, I was like, I'm not shocked that this didn't work. I'm just frustrated. So <laughs> I'm not mad. It, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, I was aware of the weight of it before I was aware of the, or before I, I became like kind of miserable with the screen door. Um, but honestly, the, the biggest thing, more than the weight, more than the screen door, the thing that ultimately was the, like, I need to take this off and because it's bothering me is my eyes felt strained. Yeah. Which was a little surprising because I've never been in a VR experience for more than like 10 minutes at a time and I've never suffered eye strain from it. So I was like, oh, this is what people are always complaining about. Yeah. Is that just, is it a combination of all the, like, do you know why your eyes felt strained? Any instinct on that? Yeah, I think part of it is I was definitely blinking less. Like, no question, I was not blinking as much. And I know normally when you watch television, you don't blink as much. But I would like I was definitely like eyes wide open, friggin' Clockwork Orange style. And yeah. it, and occasionally they would start to feel dried out, and I was like, oh, I should probably blink at some point. Um, and then I think the other part of it is just you have a a very, very bright light being focused through two large lenses six inches away from your eyeballs. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, whole movie, maybe. <laughs> like, I, I would need to be able to lay back, um, even if it wasn't 100% on, um, like, looking straight vertical. Like, just give me, like, a 60% decline. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I lounged on the chaise that's attached to my couch, so I was comfortable, but I still had to look to the horizon as if I was looking at a screen that was on normal ground. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't decide that the screen was kind of floating up in the air, which was, like I said, not... It was a little bit of a disappointment, but I'm like, eh, I get it. Yeah. People are going to want to watch movies in a hammock eventually. <laughs> yes. I, I think it would be nice if you could say... um stop VRing this. I just want a screen that's close to my face. Like just no matter where my head moves, just always keep the screen directly in front of my face. And then that's probably less work for the phone. So it's not like, it's not computationally difficult to just it's show just the, the picture and picture. picture. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I mean. So I, I can imagine an app or a mode that lets you do that. Cause Oh man, hammock sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> Related to watching movies, uh, Netflix, uh, we have a story here to get into our, our main show, uh, has announced that you can now cash shows for airplane mode or offline playback in general. And thank you, finally, and also everyone else now needs to add this feature, especially HBO. Seriously. Well, and... I mean, unfortunately, it's not the entire Netflix catalog. There's actually an available for download like category now and it shows you like this Dumb. is the stuff you can download and it's a, a lot of it's the Netflix originals which to be fair are pretty much the best things on they're Netflix. becoming the most important yeah. content but it's not even all the Netflix originals so it's still I mean don't get me wrong this is way 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 better than nothing but it's we still have a ways to go <laughs> do you and, uh, I mean you fly a lot so I mean is that something you would instantly be excited to use Oh, God, yes. No, this is designed for kids in the backseat of cars on road trips and people who have to fly on planes a lot because I, I can't imagine being in my house and saying like, oh, I'm going to save this offline just in case Netflix world-class streaming suddenly isn't good enough. Like that's, that's just, If you're on you know broadband internet, Netflix streaming is pretty much always good enough unless you're like some kind of... Uh, like fancy man and you're like oh no it has to be in 4k the whole time so i want to cache the whole thing offline so that i can watch it back in 4k the entire time it's like eh, i guess but i i really think it's meant for you know kids in the backseat of the van and people on airplanes yeah i mean it's just a nice practical addition it's not like the the new feature no one saw coming we have one more thing or anything 
Uh, it's just like, yep, that makes sense. People don't have infinite data, and it doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing for a long time because metered internet is a huge profit margin for all our, our damn ISPs. Yeah, and that's the thing is even if you live somewhere where you're like, oh, I have the most amazing 4G LTE ever, it's like, do you really want to be in the passenger seat of the car or on the subway or on, you know, in an airplane even? In fact, most airplanes don't even allow things like Netflix and YouTube and HBO Go. But right. even, even if you had the throughput on your LTE network, do you really want to be eating up, you know, megs and gigs and gigs and megs of data and just when battery you life. just cache it at home? got to be less battery to play a cache file than stream it oh certainly because while you're streaming the radio is on and like surging the entire time so yeah i would definitely see i i would imagine seeing some serious battery improvements but this is now like i feel like the the line has been crossed in the sand and hopefully it will now be like a mad rush to like no we allow more content offline no we allow more content offline we allow all of our content <laughs> offline well of course we also allow all of our content offline like i just okay netflix proved that it's possible can everybody please just do this now yeah i do think long term netflix is turning into hbo like they still have movies but you don't go to Netflix for movies anymore. I mean, yeah, you'll browse what they have and be like, huh, I remember that movie from 15 years ago. And then you'll play five minutes of it and go, nah, I don't need to watch this again. And, you know, there's a lot of like, that actor you know is in bad movies now. Like, here's a bunch of Steven Seagal movies that suck. <laughs> Do you want to watch them? No, you don't. No, I came here for Jessica Jones and you know it, goddammit. Get the Steven yeah. Seagal crap out of my face. <laughs> And so whether it's either it's catching up on other TV series that they are just showing or Netflix's originals, that's like 90% of the reason I'm there anymore. So basically, I think of them as an HBO now that has movies sometimes, but you really watch their shows. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I When I turn on Netflix, it is almost exclusively to watch Netflix-made stuff, and I'm kind of okay with that. They give it to me at a price I think is reasonable, and they let me watch it on like 50 million different devices, and at a time I think is convenient, like, ain't even mad. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a bunch of gaming topics. Uh, the, Sony this, just this had first a... one. Can can we just say that this first one is the most important one? We have other <laughs> things to talk about, but this is the one that matters. Yeah. Uh, Sony had their big PlayStation Experience event, which I wasn't really paying attention to until some of the headlines <laughs> finally reached me. And I actually think you got to break this news to me because I wasn't watching uh, the headlines. And uh, that is The Last of Us Part 2 was unveiled in a teaser. And that's like Insta, you know, Naughty Dog in general, but especially Last of Us, it's like instant take my money. I, you know, I don't pre-order games, but I would pre-order it <laughs> kind of level. No, um, I, I said the exact same thing to Susan because like, we were uh, we were having lunch with, you know, my family and, and I saw it and I was like, oh, my God, I need to watch this right now. And she was like, what is it? And I was like, everyone be quiet. I need to watch this right now. <laughs> So, like, I'm, I'm watching on my phone. You know, the the little release trailer is, like, what, three or four minutes or something. And afterwards, I told her what it was, and I said the same thing. I said, not only am I almost definitely going to pre-order this, but I will schedule, like, a couple days off work <laughs> so I can just say I'm going to get it and I'm going to play it that day and maybe, like, a couple of days after, you know, to, like, be... Just to know I can fit it into my life. Like, I can't. I'm an adult with a full-time job and two children. Like, I can't, I can't say, like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Like, I need I need, I need, need it in me. <laughs> uh, so the trailer shows it's a, a long, like, lots of slow shots moving through, like, a house uh, very torn apart. I mean, it's post-apocalyptic. Um, but we see uh, Ellie playing guitar, and I was I thought the animation was really impressive, um, in a lot of media, when someone is playing an instrument, if you actually play music, you can see all the shortcuts happening, and you're actually you're actually kind of proud when it's like, oh, they're actually playing the chords, they're actually strumming in like what even if it's not a live performance of the thing, um, you can tell they took effort to match it up and line it up with the sound you're hearing, and. Obviously, with animation, you can animate whatever you want, but they took <laughs> care. Like, you really felt like she was plucking the strings. And it's just, I mean, Naughty Dog's commitment to, like, 
they go the extra mile on their stuff. And it's like, you know, the, the status quo is much lower. You would just frame the shot so you didn't have to see her hand as much plucking so it wouldn't matter, you know. But right. they're like, no, we are going to show this <laughs> and, and so forth. And you see she's singing, uh, you know, this, this sad little song. And then uh, you, you begin to realize there's a bunch of dead bodies everywhere. And, <laughs> uh, it's, it looks like a teenager's bedroom, but it's obviously been torn apart by what happened to the world. And then Joel steps in the doorway and, you know, they have a little conversation. And she basically says, I'm going to kill them all or, you know, something, some huge expression of revenge. And I got the immediate impression of like, there's, I don't really have any proof of this. It's like, oh, Joel's gone and she's imagining him. No, I'm 100% (laughs) with you on that because they didn't show his face, but the the voice actor and like the body language and everything are are so distinctive in that franchise that you're like, oh, that's Joel. But something about the way they framed it, something about how limited his involvement in the trailer was, I was just like, he's dead. (laughs) <laughs> or at least like he's captured yeah, he's, or something yeah he's maybe no longer part of maybe she finds out that he like bullshit her and now she's like ah, <laughs> oh, you bs me i'm i'm angry with you which is you know that checks out he screwed her life <laughs> over pretty hard uh but that even that pro- plot point spoiler alert of the first game is it's a little grayer than just he lied to her because you can like people have listened to every single audio tape in the game and stuff and it's really clear that the Fireflies did not know that she would necessarily be a cure and that it might just be they kill her and they go, whoops. And, oh, and oh so, certainly. But <laughs> the problem is that he made... He didn't give her that choice. Right. He he made the decision for her. But I mean, we, we don't have to recap the entire first game. The <laughs> point is, um, I cannot wait to give these people my money. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, and I mean, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy 15 later and I'm just like, oh my God, I don't care. But the second <laughs> I knew that this existed at all, like before the trailer had even started on my phone, I was like reaching for my wallet. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I've been on team. Ellie's story is good enough and well told. You don't need to do another one. But nonetheless, it's Naughty Dog. I give them the benefit of the doubt. If they think they've... Until they transgress on me and they, you know, <laughs> I don't know what a good example is. <laughs> Until they cross you and you murder them like in The Godfather? Of, no, of like a <laughs> sequel that is so bad it almost makes you hate the good original movie like kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. Until that, they do that. I, I can't. They can't. They cannot fall that hard. What a fall <laughs> from grace that would be to make you hate the original Last of Us. Like if they, uh, whatever that Wii Metroid game is that I hate, Other M. Oh, like Other if, M. <laughs> if they Other M it, then they won't get this benefit of the doubt on future games. But until they do something like that, it's I'm going to trust them. They 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 have a good story to tell that still involves Ellie and Joel. So yeah, now we'll with see. You. And it, it's just man, like I just I want I just want more of that universe, like. I would have accepted virtually any kind of a sequel, like more Joel stuff. Ellie is an adult. Ellie literally the day after the first game ends. What (laughs) what other people are doing during the apocalypse on the other side of the planet? Like I just, their, their world was so rich and they're such good storytellers that it's like, it's, uh, this must be like how Stephen King feels all the time. Just people constantly like, so when's your next book coming out? And it's like, well, I'm, I just handed you a completed book, and it's like, yeah. yeah, no, it was good. I just finished it. When's your next book coming out? Like you tell the chef at a restaurant, like, when's my next meal? As he hands you your food. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that, that what a what a tremendous position to be in, where people are just banging your door down for more of your product, <laughs> but you know, champagne problems. But uh, other weird games were also announced at. Oh wait, I have to I have to tell you this one last thing. Um, do you know the name of the voice actress that does Ellie's voice? Uh, not offhand. It's I had to Google it. It's Ashley Suzanne Johnson. Or I guess okay. that's pronounced Suzanne. Yeah, so Ashley Suzanne Johnson. Um, unfortunately, she is frequently confused with Ellen Page. And right. they don't really look at all alike, but their their voice acting and their delivery is similar enough that if you're not like amazing with voices, they can be confused. And Ellie certainly looks more like... Ellen Page than she does the actual actress. Very much. <laughs> right. So it's forgivable that somebody would make that mistake. The way I found out that this trailer had been released was the fake uh, Peter Molydew account on Twitter <laughs> just tweeted, wait till Ellen Page hears about this. 
<laughs> and like I sat there and stared at that too, because the guy who runs that account is is pretty clever. So like he wouldn't just tweet gibberish for gibberish sake. It's so like I sat there and stared at that tweet for a minute, and I was like, "Games with Ellen Page." Oh my god, Last of Us! <laughs> and then I went and found the trailer. I love that like wrong that you still got the right answer with the quote wrong clue because that was, me and my brother during some game of not charades but the I think it's cranium where you like sometimes sing or something um, it was like Lone Ranger was the cue and he's saying the Bonanza theme and then I said <laughs> Lone Ranger <laughs> yeah all that matters kind of like that <laughs> this is not a journey thing this is a destination thing so. <laughs> Peter Molydew got me to the destination, and that's what matters. <laughs> uh, so other games that were... Um, this isn't the first teaser, but it, it showed a lot more of the aesthetic and the and the world that this game will take place in. And that is uh, Kojima's new game, Death Stranding. And the trailer has uh, Guillermo del Toro as a character, uh, the, you know, the director of Hellboy and several other, you know, very popular films. And... Uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. That was the one I was trying to think of too. Um, I love that. And movie. this game looks—it looks like a Kojima game. It looks like a very <laughs> off the deep end. He he had a concept and he's taking it so far in that direction. And you know that's the joy of his games is you know you want to see how far down the rabbit hole goes of what he decided to make. And so we're in some kind of post-apocalyptic world, which is pretty common in video games. Um, but the, the difference is there's, uh, there's these weird little like synthetic baby things that seem really vulnerable and worth saving. You know, Guillermo del Toro, who looks very much like himself, is carrying one and like looks scared and is hiding and is creeping forward. And he kind of like hides under a, a bridge. And then we see like some kind of militaristic death army go across the bridge. And then we wander in to, you know, the sewer. It's, I guess it's more than just a bridge. There's like a sewer system under here. And uh, we see actor Mads Mikkelsen, who, you know, he's in Hannibal. He was the bleeding eye guy in Casino Royale. That's where and, I uh, know him from. Oh, my God. Thank you. Oh, there's a whole article about how every one of his characters has like screwed up eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is no exception. Um, and we see him, you know, as some kind of soldier or troop leader and you know it's clear that he's kind of scary but you know i have a weird sense that he might be someone you control or work with even as you know some kind of subversive army of the dead guy but um he's got tethered to him like four skeleton soldier guys that i don't know if they're feeding off of him or something or um it's just very strange like I'm, i'm failing to describe it you should just go watch it um, but, you know, as most Kojima stuff, it's directed like it's a film with very, very deliberate camera moves. And um, even the way, you know, as you're wandering up, you see the baby, like a, one of the the weird baby things on the ground. And later it's floating forward. And you're like, oh, yeah, we saw that earlier. And so just all those cinematic language things are, are present. And we still have no idea what this game plays like. Uh, this is very much, <laughs> here's the world you're going to live in kind of trailer. And man, it looks creepy. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of Kojima. I mean, like you said, it's, it's Kojima's want for video games kind of taken to the extreme. Because it's sort of like, what if I showed you a trailer where you weren't totally sure if you were ever going to play it or if I'm just going to release a movie? <laughs> Because, I mean, I'd, I'd watch this movie. Like, I'd be disappointed. I, I want to play the game. But if he came out and was like, ah, it's just a movie, I'd be like, neat. When can I get tickets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, he's, he's clearly got a, a, you know, all his references, whether it's John Carpenter or the other, like, action movie references that are all over Metal Gear. Um, it seems like his use of real Hollywood actors just plays into that, his, his fetishization of like Hollywood and um, he's doing his own form of storytelling, but he's clearly playing on all these tropes and uh, themes and, and archetypes. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I feel like I never get out everything I'm supposed to get out from a Kojima game. Cause there's 
music and cultural references and literature references and crazy philosophy references that I just, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I mean, some of them are so dense that I don't even know that a reference went by. It's like, oh, <laughs> if I was way, way more dialed in, I might have known that there was 47 levels to that sentence, but I only got like three of them. I mean, I have to say, I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is one of the first really postmodern video games. And <laughs> just the self-reference and the, I don't know, we could get into crazy lit theory of <laughs> what he's doing for gaming that people have done for storytelling and, and writing. But Yeah, it's, I, I think more than anything else, I'm although I'm sad for how he parted ways with Konami, although the hashtag around him parting with Konami <laughs> is really funny, um, but I'm kind of glad he's sort of starting with a fresh universe because the Metal Gear Solid universe was getting absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like yeah. from a franchise that started out weird and then got weirder and then weirder and then darker and then deeper and darker. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I still <laughs> loved it. Like all the way up through the last game, I still thought it was absolutely phenomenal, but it's just so confusing. And so there's retconning and there's like fake outs. And this guy was actually this other guy all along. Oh my God. Like just <laughs> way, way too much nonsense where it's like, I want to see the guy who is brilliant enough to write all this, like get to start with a blank piece of paper and not have to keep adding things to this already drawn on piece of paper. Yeah. Um, I'm sending you a screenshot of a Reddit comment on the trailer that just makes fun of Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain. Uh, just the, the credits for this trailer. <laughs> <laughs> um, photography by Hideo Kojima, produced by Hideo Kojima, and just like goes through a crazy list of drink service provided by Hideo Kojima. Cool and they're even... <laughs> Mads Mickelson by Hideo <laughs> Kojima. <laughs> I like that they gave him fight choreography. Oh, this is really cute because the last one is Happy Birthday because this the the game came or the trailer was released on his birthday. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> see, this is like there's there's multiple levels to this comment. This guy got rid of gold. He totally deserved it. <laughs> so uh, so that's do you, well. Go ahead. The the main question is this. Does this also qualify for your, I don't pre-order games, but I will pre-order this? Because I'm not quite there yet, but I am, my um, hand my hand is itching for the wallet, but I haven't started reaching for it yet. I mean, I'm I'm still really not going to pre-order Last of Us unless there's some kind of pre-order only bonus. Like, we remastered all, like, they did announce Crash Bandicoot was getting, like, a full remaster. <laughs> and if I, they're just, I like, saw that, that's bizarre. Which I don't, I probably wouldn't buy that separately. Like, I'm not <laughs> the biggest Crash Bandicoot fan. It's fine. It's a nice little, you know, runner. But uh, if they just threw that in for free only for pre orders, maybe something like that would get me. And I, I feel the same way about this. Like, I still don't pre order games because what's the point? On day one, you can buy it and then have it downloaded in less than an hour. And you can trigger that download from any device on PlayStation <laughs> or Steam, you know, so. There's really no reason I have to give them money sooner for the same release date. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about planning like my own little Christmas morning where it'll be like, I know the game comes out on this Tuesday, so I'm taking that Tuesday and Wednesday off work, and it's pre-ordered so that when I get up in the morning and I go put my hands on the PlayStation controller, the game will be sitting there ready to play. And I know yeah, that, I that's, that's like a lot of overthinking it, but it's like I just, I have... I, I have everybody has time to do everything, but I, yeah. I haven't been able to prioritize gaming for a while. And like, and I'm, in, I'm willing to prioritize this game. In that case, I guess I would wait till the day before and then I would pre order it just to install it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so now, now we're definitely split. But unless, unless I'm <laughs> getting something important out of it, I just, I don't feel the need. Like, even with, we'll get to Final Fantasy, like, I wasn't even planning on buying it, and then <laughs> I changed my mind, and I really don't think I missed anything by waiting. I went and got the disc copy, and you know, if I had ordered it on Amazon, maybe they would have delivered it before I decided to drive to Target, but <laughs> uh, driving to Target and back took like 10 minutes, and I didn't have to sit around waiting all day for a package. <laughs> no, but you did have to sit around waiting all day for like a 9-gig patch. Yeah, well, at least they let you start the game without the patch. Uh, we'll fair. get to that. Yeah, but before you drop some truth bombs, what was the one other big reveal we care about? Uh, it was just a, an updated uh, new gameplay showcase of Zelda Breath of the Wild. 
which we'll have a link to in our show notes. Uh, and you can skip to 45 seconds in to get to Bill Trennan and I forget the other guy's name. They're on a couch and they're just playing through a small segment. Uh, and, you know, I just have to say this game continues to just look really fun. And I know you're going to get into a little bit how it, some of it looks very different from Zelda games, um, which I'm going to cautiously call an important uh, moment for Nintendo <laughs> to find a new way to Zelda. Um, because as much as I love the formula Zelda, it's got its paper cuts. It's got its NPC quests that are just you know tedious and annoying. Um, Twilight Princess, famously, every time you enter a new area, you have to gather like 12 or 15 invisible bugs as a wolf, and it's just like, ugh. What? chasing map icons and to their credit like you know the long-term wisdom i've discovered about zelda games is wait for the remake because all those worst <laughs> parts of the game will be simplified and smoothed over without <laughs> taking away from the dungeon um the main question i still have about this game is are there good robust dungeons still or is it fully western rpg open world crafting zelda and um, I still have faith they're going to have interesting puzzles, and whether they're more environmental, outside puzzles. But it's definitely uh, looking different. It still looks beautiful. And I, I say this as, you know, the graphics aren't state-of-the-art. Like, you can tell it's not 4K, PS4 Pro, or top-of-the-line PC, but the art direction goes so far. And I think this game is a testament to that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that, uh, what do you call it? Isn't it like cell shading yeah, it's like very tastefully tuned shaded. Yeah, I mean, th there's a limit to how HD something needs to be when it's cell shaded. Like it's meant to look sort of artsy, cartoony because that's that's like that whole aesthetic. Yeah. So I mean, you know, whereas like Death Stranding literally is so close to photorealism that someone with moderately bad eyesight could probably be convinced it is real. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's just not the the aesthetic that Zelda is going for, or really has ever gone for, even in the you know, the quote unquote realistic looking Zeldas, it, it's still like stylized and, and kind of, you know, yeah, it's full of cartoony creatures. Yeah. Even. Just because it's not tune shaded doesn't mean it isn't a fantasy world full of <laughs> magic. Right. Um, but, but as you alluded, uh, something about the gameplay trailer or not the trailer, the, the gameplay when they're actually playing through it, it didn't look Zelda E. Like, I didn't look at it and immediately say, like, boom, Zelda game. But something about it felt very Zelda-y. <laughs> like, something about the way they were interacting with the world, even though that is technically all wrong, because, like, you can jump and glide and, like, all these things, you know, Link could not traditionally do. But Climbing, like, yeah, arbitrary walls. Some Something about, like, the, the combat and just the sort of the feel of the world... Um, I don't think I've had a good opportunity to bring up Ego Raptor in a while, but in one of his reviews where he talks about Zelda and sequelitis, he uh, he says that the original game they just like drop you into the middle of the forest and they're like, "All right, go have an adventure," and you're not really mm -hmm. given any direction. Like you're not really out to save the world; you're just out and you happen to save the world while you're adventuring. Whereas and like, like a, most of the people in the caves are lying to you or just saying cryptic stuff that doesn't really help. Yeah, it's 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 a very it's very much that you are this person having an adventure, not that you are this you know uh, guardian on a quest who's part of many generations of guardians on quests to save the princess Zelda. I mean, like, the, the instruction booklet has that, but the game does not. Right, and I. I, I always have mixed feelings with older games where they're like, well, they explain all that in the instruction book. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, who, who really? Come on. It's not like a, a shampoo bottle that you read on the toilet or a box of cereal where you're sitting at the, the kitchen table and you have nothing else to do. Like, who reads the instruction manual? So I like that this game has more of a, like, rando out in the woods having an adventure. Like, Link's life is just out killing monsters and finding magic treasure and linking it up. And <laughs> that to me has more of a true, the legend of Zelda feeling than some of the more modern games where it's like the second you wake up, you're literally woken up by a fairy saying like time to start your journey because you were destined to yeah. do this. And it's like, I don't really feel like I have a lot of autonomy annoying fairy because you just told me <laughs> that I am literally required by the laws of nature to go save the princess. 
Well, I mean, I think it harkens back to the little fairy tale we've heard about Miyamoto himself when he created Zelda, which is remembering as a kid running around in the backyard and having an imagination about all the crazy monsters and creatures and special abilities and kind of his original creation of the game was really trying to capture that childlike feel of exploring a strange world. So this is more original as Zelda, just he wasn't able to do it until now. I know he's not directly directing the game. He's very much handed it off, but he's still involved with the, the broad direction. Well, I get why the other games would have like a more clear narrative and it's like, hey, you're the hero. This is the damsel. That's the big bad guy. Like I, yeah. I, I understand the appeal of that, but uh, kind of like in in your favorite Metroid game, Other M, where <laughs> they completely take away her autonomy and her badassery and basically everything that made Samus Samus and everything that made the world of Metroid the world of Metroid. You're kind of just like, what? This is not <laughs> this is not the experience I came here for. And some of the later Zeldas that I barely was able to start, let alone play to the end. It's like you're dropped into this super colorful, ridiculous world, and it's like, hey, uh, you're the hero. Go be the hero. And it's like, oh, can I explore a little? No, go be the hero. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we'll get to Final Fantasy fifteen about that, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else about Zelda? Um, you you going to pre-order it? <laughs> no. Um, I, di- I did pre-order for gold cartridge back in the Ocarina days, but I probably wouldn't worry too much about that anymore. Um, maybe they'll have some, you know, amiibo they include. Uh, uh, it did occur to me that a lot of, like, we ta- I mentioned briefly, like, you can climb any wall, which is not, in terms of video gaming, that special. Like, that's very common in lots of open world games. But Zelda is always sort of the game design has been about proprietary abilities. It's this special hammer lets you break these kinds of blocks or this glove lets you pick up these stones. And so that's why it's like remarkable if they it still feels like a Zelda game, but they let go of certain versions of that proprietary nature. I also wonder how how it would affect the gameplay if there was more proprietary stuff that was either irrelevant or not related to the main story. So like you have the, the power glove that lets you pick up the dark gray stones, (laughs) but instead of there only being three dark gray stones in the entire world, and it's obvious exactly what you need to do with them. They're just like all over the damn place. So it's like, yeah, are you really going to pick up every single stone? Some of them might have cool crap under them. Lots of them <laughs> will just be stones. So then yeah. it kind of it makes the the these incredibly powerful magical objects feel like they make sense in the world they're in as opposed yeah. <laughs> to every single magical object essentially being a key to a specific lock. Yeah. And that's the trade-off I think you have of game design of like they will feel less special but they will be more sensible and useful in the world. Well, I felt like um, uh, Link Between Worlds kind of took a step in this direction where there were multiple things that each magic item did, and some of them were like sort of optional. It's like, yeah, you can beat this boss this way, but if you had already done this other temple and you already got this other item, then you could beat him this other way, and it was like a little bit easier or a little bit harder or just different. And It's true. You had some choice, and they made a big point of saying you can run straight to the end of the game in this. Um, I don't know if it'll be easy <laughs> or you know if it'll be almost impossible to win that way, but uh, there's, there's, they're pushing non-linearity as a, a virtue of this game. Right. And and I think in Link Between Worlds, that was incredibly successful. Like that game felt a hell of a lot like a Legend of Zelda game. I mean, it was incredibly enjoyable, even though they gave up the strictly linear, you have to go here, then here, then get yeah. this, then lift that thing, then put that other thing down, then hit this with a hammer. Like they you can know, mash A through every maiden <laughs> message after each <laughs> dungeon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just did away with all that crap, and yet it was still incredibly fun and still felt like a, a Legend of Zelda game. So I'm going to be super irritated that I'm going to have to buy a Nintendo Switch just for this game, but looks pretty good. <laughs> So that brings us to the game I said I wasn't probably going to buy until it was half price and then bought. (laughs) And who made you buy it? Me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, 
I don't really have an explanation. I, I, I saw some reviews were saying it was legitimately a great game, and um, I just kind of decided, eh, I'll just go get it. Um, <laughs> payday was part of that uh, that consumerist urge to buy something to fill the hole in my heart kind of <laughs> <laughs> nonsense. Um, by the way, that never works, but yeah. nonetheless. <laughs> it never works, a, but here I am, $60 poorer and still sad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm probably 10 or so hours, maybe a little less, into the game. Uh, I think I'm chapter 4. The game splits it into chapters uh, when you cross certain milestones. Um, But really, so Final Fantasy XV, if you've seen anything, you've probably seen a bunch of dudes dressed up in black leather with giant swords that happen to go on a road trip and drive and camp and stuff. And that's true. That's what's happening in the game. Um (laughs) But really, like right off the bat, the game is sort of like we've been saying about Zelda. It's very much an open world game right off the bat. Um, In a way, it's like the opposite of Final Fantasy XIII, which was criticized for being basically hallway simulator uh, with cutscenes in between them. And then supposedly very, very late in thirteen, it became a much more open. And in a lot of Final Fantasy games have that moment where it's like, all right, you got to disc two, and now that we're kind of setting you loose, and there's now six different kingdoms you can visit, and um, you kind of have some freedom. And this game just decides to do that right off the bat. And uh, you start off in this deserty area, but... Um, you know, it really, I would say, it plays like a single-player MMO with a very strong narrative and, you know, voice acting throughout it all, so you're not just reading quest logs. Um, but it's it's very much open-world, very much quest-driven, very Western RPG tropes kind of happening. Um, I guess some laundry list of stuff. Uh, literally the first female in the game is he a ditzy, busty, cleavage, midriff, the camera moves from her feet up her body, gazing, just so much male gaze happening. <laughs> and then she's like, <laughs> and she's all like, you know, sprightly. And um, so I just kind of let out a huge groan of like, come on, like, I don't care if they, they think this is so over the top, you're making fun of sex, like, it's still reinforcing crap that I'm pretty tired of in gaming. And, well, and, uh, and that's also, that's like a super cop-out to be like, no, we made her tits hang out for the entire game to call attention to how bad the male gaze in gaming is. And it's like, no, dude, you, you don't, you don't get, to, no, I robbed your store so that you could see how bad your security was. Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> So that was disappointing, and she's a car mechanic, and so she can tow your car and um, you know apply upgrades. Uh, you know, you they have there's a lot of bling. You can get you know flame paint on the side of your car. You can add bumper stickers and stuff. Thank, it's, thank uh, God, I'm glad they really put in the right. systems that the earlier Final Fantasy games were missing. Or most importantly, you can buy Final Fantasy soundtracks from previous games and they play through the stereo, which I've actually decided, you know, they don't cost much in-game, so I will collect all of them and play some Laguna music while I'm driving around. How far back can you go? Uh, I think straight back. To, yeah, you start out, you have Final Fantasy 1, or maybe that was one of the first ones I bought. Um, so pretty much all the major entry Final Fantasy games. I haven't seen all of them, but it's it's clear from the ones I've seen, they've basically got all of them. Now, the important question is, is it like as performed by the London Philharmonic, or is it like straight up chiptune? No, it sounds like the original soundtrack. So yes. the PlayStation 1 sound like the PlayStation music. The, the Super Nintendo 1 sound like Super Nintendo music. Um so Except the, maybe so the half Nest of the ones. game is like nostalgia simulator where it's like, do you drive around listening to chiptune music? Why not drive around in a game that inspired your love of chiptune music listening to chiptune music? I think the exception is Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3 have like sort of super Nessy, like probably the remake soundtracks, not the original Ness. That's um, fair. I mean, the original ones were pretty instrument limited. Yeah. Um, Character advancement. So, you know, it's an RPG, so you have characters that get stronger uh, based on what you do and craft and buy and and all that. And it seems like I would describe this one as a a take on... Did you play Final Fantasy X through or remember it much? I I did a couple times, and I was actually going to say that X is a good example of hallway simulator done right. Like, 
10 is totally a hallway simulator, but it's still an enjoyable experience because the narrative is in, delivered in such a way that kind of all you want is to like continue the story. You're not like, I wonder what yeah. some random asshole is doing in his shop on the other side of the planet. Like that's more of a fallouty Skyrim-y kind of thing. So I, I feel like hallway simulators can be done right. It's just the last few times they tried, they didn't really get it right. Yeah. So it's got a sphere grid ish thing. So it's kind of like the character advancement of 10 where you have points, you earn ability points and you spend them um, according to what you want to upgrade. Oh, I want to add strength. I want to add, you know, whatever. Um, but it's a little more what I would call an opinionated design. It's not just a, a character map and you buy stat bumps and occasionally abilities and you kind of go where you want. It's more like you have a set of sphere grids that are for very different things. So one of them might be your main character, Noctis, who's the prince of the kingdom. Um, you know, a strong hint that he's in some kind of dream or something because his name is Noctis. <laughs> but, um, and, but then some of the other sphere grids might be tech or, you know, like there's not one for each character. It's like your main guy, the way people work with your main guy, the uh, magical abilities of the team. And so it's like different genres rather than just simple character choices. Oh, and so, so it's, it's more like a a theme system than like a job system. Yeah. You don't, you don't directly edit the guys and even the main character sphere grid is it's more broad strokes. What abilities you want to emphasize. Um, so you have one of your main abilities is you can warp and you basically, it's really cool in terms of gameplay, you throw your sword and then you teleport to what it hits and so you can't like just it's not like you have a full FPS aiming, but it's more <laughs> like you lock onto an enemy or when you're in a battle, you can sometimes cling to the sides of rocks. And, you know, if there's a radio tower, you can, you know, zoom onto it. And that, you know, when you're clinging to something, it like re refills your magic points faster. It's sort of like you're getting a, a strategic look at the battle. Um, and so, you know, one of my biggest fears going into the game was, oh, man, the combat's going to just be Kingdom Hearts hack and slash nonstop forever. Wait, and, it's not that because every single freaking gameplay trailer makes it look exactly like that. It looks and plays a lot like that, but there <laughs> there is more depth. And, oh, thank um, God. The, the way your characters play into it, the special abilities and... Um, you know, I never made it all the way through a Kingdom Hearts game. I, I love the <laughs> Disney worlds. I love the art direction. And I can get past most of the the dumb RPG story stuff they tied together with. <laughs> but um, even so, I wasn't ever really able to get through those games because I got so bored. And so far, the combat has held my interest. Even though it's very hack and slashy, but it feels like there's enough there, enough meat on there to, to make you think. And, you know, there's some there's some action-timey stuff of, like, you use your tank guy's special cyclone sword ability, and so he uses a heavy sword, and right at the end when he does his big hit, you get a little, like, it shows you a button, like, circle, and then it has this big circle closing down on it to time your reaction. And so you have things like that where you can get bigger hits, um, you're, you're always trying to hit enemies from behind because you get attack bonuses. So they have these different systems in place to make it more than mashing X forever. Um, I can get on board with some of that. Like, re- I, 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 I got to try it. It's like got <laughs> a war boss kind of, um, but we'll for get... special abilities. Yeah, I mean, my, my feeling is on those those real-time systems is that I typically play RPGs because I don't want to play an yeah. action game so i kind of if if it's too like twitch reactions to succeed it's like oh sorry you were off by like a thousandth of a second so and I'm like, in uh. your favor is there's a squaresoft version of vats almost yeah in that you can you can switch on they have always they've called it wait mode forever for the different battle systems and so if you don't press anything the the game shades itself in like a, a gray tone and you can look you can turn your camera around and then you can hold r1 which will use a libra or libra i guess um you can actually look at the enemies see what they're weak to um and 
the wait mode is actually it's like a stat or an ability you can expand or invest in because at first you get a it's like a full bar and you have an amount of wait mode and it's pretty generous like you could probably sit there for over a minute before the bar would run out and then force you to do something um but so you you have that time to plan like who am i going to hit what do i want to do with this battle and so um maybe that would would and that's sort of the virtue of the fact that it's single player because an online MMO, you really couldn't do that. Um, no, not unless, even a little. <laughs> the whole server agreed to be frozen at different periods of time. Um, and so I think that has potential for, you know, we'll see how well they play it out. Um, really complicated boss fights or, you know, strategy where you really need to think, what am I going to hit and what am I going to hit it with? And uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've already had a couple boss fights that were kind of hard um i got knocked down a lot and i had to start um so the other big system is parrying so there's some of that i know um you were saying that the real timey stuff isn't always why you want to play an rpg but it is satisfying to get good at blocking hits uh and you get like almost batman arkham kind of <laughs> parry and counter thing going so i don't know i say the game is pretty fun now um, the tropey storytelling stuff is a little concerning, um, <laughs> especially the you know the the female character representation is just pathetic, and I think they deserve criticism for continuing to. You know, other Final Fantasy games were better than this one at that because now literally your whole cast is a bunch of guys, and uh, <laughs> female well, and, characters are so lacking, and a bunch of white guys. I mean, at least some of the other Final Fantasies had like other. <laughs> human races like black characters or asian characters and then like fantasy races but this is like four white (laughs) i mean they just look like it it looks they look like a boy band they they look like a boy band it's a boy band you're playing boy band the rpg yeah and the this uh, see this is frustrating because if the gameplay is good and the game is successful that sends the bad message of like yep keep making straight white male characters the main character and keep making ditzy half-naked blondes the the eye candy <laughs> and you just keep on doing that. And it's like, no, that's not what we... No, <laughs> we, we like the battle system and we like the character advancement system. Change those other things. Yeah. So. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm glad you used Vats as an analogy because this is something that I noticed, like my friends that played Fallout but they started at Fallout 3, thought of the Fallout games as first-person shooters, whereas I, coming from the older Fallouts, thought of them as real-time strategy games. So, <laughs> or not not real-time, uh, what do you call it? Like, um, act, turn-based. Uh, turn-based strategy games, thank you. Um, so when I played like Fallout 3 in New Vegas, and I'm not, I don't think I'm going to play 4 because it's, it's just shooter game, the shooter game. And... <laughs> But but when I played 3 in New Vegas, I relied heavily on the VAT system. Even after I'd been playing long enough and I was a good enough shot and I had heavy enough armor and I could miss a bunch of times if I wanted to, I still relied on the VAT system because that was not uh, experience-breaking for me. So to be doing, like, this super action-packed battle and then, like, go into wait mode and, like, carefully plan my next move, like, I don't... Not only do I not have a problem with it, but I actually enjoy that kind of experience so if that's something that they baked in like that's man i don't want to buy this game (laughs) i was like i mean it's like so dead set against it because i was like ah they did all this dumb stuff and i don't want to participate in this dumb stuff but now like goddamn people whose opinion i respect are like no it's good i mean it is like it's it's vats but it's kingdom hearts yes but it's also like i said batman arkham and maybe God of War, which isn't my favorite reference for uh, <laughs> not only its, its portrayal of characters, but even as a, a game, I think, I think it's fun, but not nothing I get excited about, but more the, the, the action time stuff. But um, the fact that the parry system and the dodging and the, that it's backed by meaningful character progression, that right. I upgraded this thing and now that thing I'm doing is more like, that's very satisfying, which most of action games don't have, you know, the, the Batman games are great games, and they do have an upgrade tree that matters. But most action games, it's like, yeah, just mash the button, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'll probably... 
hold off on this one for a while because I'm already other far Well, I more... bought the disc, so you can just borrow it once you finish Uncharted 4. Yes, once I finish Uncharted 4, I'll just mail that to you and you can mail me Final Fantasy 15 <laughs> and we'll be good. But yeah, this is... Uh... Man, this is like this is the right way to game is to know people who game and then just borrow their games because <laughs> then your commitment to the experience is like zero. Like if I get five minutes into Final Fantasy 15 and I'm like, yep, hate it. I it cost me three dollars <laughs> to ship it back to you, and then I never have to think about it again. Yeah. Yep. So you're you said you're about ten hours in? Maybe a little less, but yeah. Definitely so I, early. I think this is they've been aiming for like that 40 to 50 hour experience. So when you hit like the 15, 20 hour mark, that's where I'll be curious. Like, really, like you think you got another 20 hours in you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll ready, ready to put a bow on it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 148 for the 148th episode uh, Mike and I both love feedback. You can find us most easily on the Twitters. I am at Lines and Beta, and Mike, you are? At Pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael. I'm glad you went back to the spelling. I think people were, were seriously <laughs> confused. Um, if you want to comment on this specific episode, we do use Reddit as the comment section for flipping tables, so you can go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables, where we put up a new post for every single episode. And then if you want to make sure you get the last couple, because we're we're coming up on the we've rounded the bend. We're coming up on the finale. Yeah. You want to make sure that the last couple episodes get delivered directly to your inbox automatically. Uh, you can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. You can use the subscribe buttons on our website. And then of course we have to give a special shout out to our Patreon supporters who have helped us get this far. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, synthetic baby Cunningham. That is probably the worst one of those we've done. <laughs> so you're welcome. Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Otto Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much we could not do this without you. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>